Do you ever feel like you don't know where to start when it comes to volunteer training? Don't have the time to record training videos? The brand new version of Ministry Grid has already done the work for you with over 750 courses for you to choose from. To help you get started right away, they even have created training pathways which provide volunteer, leader, director, and staff level training modules for each specific ministry area. Whether you're looking to train volunteers, teachers, or other leaders, you can use these pathways to equip all individuals within your church. With Ministry Grid, you can customize any training that you would like and add videos, PDFs, YouTube videos, and other content that you would like. And all this can be done right from your phone. Ministry Grid has been completely rebuilt to be made for mobile and train on the go. Now you can truly train anyone, anytime, and anywhere. Get started today at ministrygrid.com. Once again, that's ministrygrid.com. Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Hey, and welcome to another episode of EST, the podcast for the Established Church by Established Church Pastors. My name is Josh King, and my good friends Micah Fries and Sam Rayner are on the line with me. How are you guys doing? Amazing. Are you? Yes. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's still gray and dreary like it was last time we recorded in Chattanooga. I'm guessing Sam and Josh, you guys don't have that thing going on where you're at. We do uh, today. The whole is week this, is supposed to be really dreary. What is this thing you call gray and dreary? I do not know it. <laughs> It's the reason y'all have snowbirds. This is why I think we need to utilize the uh, the little button, Josh, on here where I can kick somebody off the podcast. You can him. <laughs> we, we do have new software, and we did just discover that that is, that is possible. I also like the feature that you can call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. I was just going to mention that, Sam. <laughs> Sam, has, Sam has given himself a nickname on our, uh, on our podcasting software. You know, yeah. mine still says Sam. So Does it? No. Does it? Yeah. I'm, uh-huh. not, I'm, not, I'm not poopy face. It's you're not poopy, poopy face, face online. online. Uh, okay. I mean, you are poopy face. Oh, let's, but you're not. <laughs> let's engage in a little psychoanalysis here that Sam would self-identify as poopy face. Should, okay, we, no, no, uh, no. should we talk no, through no. that? Let, let, let's see what's on the, 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 the podcast recording sheet right here. Uh, Micah is Micah Freeze. Mm-hmm. Josh calls himself King. King. Now, granted, that is your last name, but it's so my last not name. Josh King. It's King. And then I, I'm poopy face. So I don't, I don't know if that is a, a statement on our social aptitude or what, but, um, but yeah. I think yeah. we could probably what? do some sort of psychoanalysis on the three of us, just as far as that's concerned. I really, I, I don't want to do psychoanalysis. Let alone <laughs> fear the it's, results. It's relationship to our Enneagram numbers. Have you guys done that Enneagram stuff yet? No, I'm no, a Christian. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, anyway. I've just started trying to figure it out here recently. But no, TGC told me not to, so I I fled it. I burned it with my rock albums. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. So Josh, what are we talking about today? Missional engagement. So we've got all of these members. We're supposed to be an outpost of the kingdom. We are ambassadors for Christ, and yet you know, sometimes it feels like you can't get them to do anything members-wise. How do you engage in the mission? How do we define mission? I know at some point, um, some people have criticized the local church for taking care of missions in the form of we send our money off to a board or an organization. 
and they do missions. You, you'll hear people sometimes say mission is done over there and we don't do missions. So there's a whole level of missional engagement, something that we were talking about a little bit earlier with uh, Brainerd Baptist Church, the church that Micah pastors and and sort of um, a, a corner that they have turned there and some growth that they have seen out of that. But yeah, the whole topic of engaging members on mission. Sam, do you, I know that with the opioids and those sort of things that are happening down in your region, you've gotten your church engaged in that sort of mission. That's a local example, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, um, it, it's something that is very much at the forefront of of what we're doing. It's in our backyard. I mean, it's. I mean, without getting into details, you know, we got drug deals going down in our church parking lot several times a day. I mean, you know, th- these are uh, issues that uh, have affected the people in our congregation. I've done funerals of those who have OD'd, uh, you know, connections to our local church here at West Bradenton. So, yeah, it's a big deal. And so when we proposed this idea of, hey, we're going to do something about this, a lot of people just cheered. They're just like, yes, somebody mm-hmm. needs to step up. And 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 we started, well, my student pastor leads it, uh, Raul Hernandez. Mm-hmm. And right. he, I know it's a bit of a strange thing that a student pastor would lead a, a heroin uh, addiction ministry, but he does. And we connected. What we ended up doing was we ended up being the the hub, the gatekeeper of all the other ministries in the community. A lot of people were doing a lot of things, but no one was really talking. So we gathered them all together and connected everyone. And we kind of act as that hub for a lot of the other things that are going on. We have our Hope Against Heroin event in 5K. We bring everyone together once a year. Um, so, and our people are involved, our people are involved. We put boots on the ground at a lot of these ministries and sent our people out, um, Mm -hmm. to to help with those who are already doing it. So when I meet people often, you know, it's like, oh, we're, you know, you're, (laughs) you're a pastor. I get the, oh, you're a pastor, the, oh, or I get the, oh, you're a pastor. It just depends on your perspective, I guess. But when people meet me in the community, they learn I'm a pastor and they inevitably ask, where are you a pastor? West Braden and Baptist, they're like, oh, you're the heroin church. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, we're doing something about it. We're not distributing it, but we're doing Mm. something about the problem. And so we have that reputation. And quite frankly, I like the reputation. I'm glad that people view us that like as a, a you know a neighborhood church that's here helping with neighborhood problems. Sure. Um, what I like about that is that, you know, that's a missional engagement in your community that wouldn't necessarily fit in my community. I know we have drug issues everywhere in our country, but that's not one that's particularly relevant for where I am. And so this is another characteristic where a lot of times people need to find out what the need in their community is and then meet that instead of trying to force you know, different kind of community issues on their church, just because that might be what they're passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. You, you gotta, you gotta go with the, the, so we're talking local mission. You gotta, you gotta ask the question, what are the major problems in my community? And then you got to send your church to help solve those problems. You know, you can't answer the, you can't be the solution for the problem in another community just because it's happening over someplace else. And it's good. Doesn't mean that it's for your church and your community. So on the other side of the spectrum, though, in our uh, network of churches, Micah, you served in what we call journeyman, right? Was that journeyman that you did? Or journeyman program. We were just married. You can't be married and be a journeyman. And Tracy and I were married, and so we were we were two year personnel mm-hmm. in West Africa. So for two years, you spent in West Africa engaging in what we consider to be foreign missions or you know international missions. Yeah. And so I mean, it how did how is that how influenced I your pastorate? I grew up in a family in a home that was uh, th- that thought globally. 
even before my wife and I moved to West Africa. I mean, I, my dad was in the Air Force. My very first memories in life were at a church pastored by uh, International Mission Board missionaries in the Philippines, um, Clarkfield Baptist Church. In fact, I'm still friends with um, we had two pastors during our time there, and one of them's still alive, and they're still friends of ours. And so, I mean, when when your very first memories in life are somewhere globally and not in the U.S., it kind of shapes the way you view the world. And so, um, I mean, I you know, it has. I mean, our time living in West Africa, we actually ended up not being there two years. We got sent home medically early because I had some medical issues that came up while we were there. But it does. It shapes the way we view the world. It shapes the way I view ministry. Um, and and so at our church, I mean. If you ask anybody at our church who's been here any length of time, they'll tell you that our strategy to make disciples at Brainerd is deliver the word, disciple the believer, deploy the church. That outlasts, uh, I mean, that predates me. It actually predates the pastor before me. It goes back to pastors. We're strongly committed to that paradigm. And within that paradigm, if you go back and you look at the three pastors who have served over the last 15 years before me, two pastors ago was a, a guy who was committed to that paradigm, but strongly committed to delivering the word. Then we had a pastor who was strongly committed to discipling the believer. And now my passion tends to lean toward deploying the church. And so um, not only is it pervasive in my sermon illustrations, and it's just pervasive in the way I carry myself. I mean, I'm out of the country usually at least three times a year. I just got back about 10 days ago from the Middle East and North Africa, and uh, I took my oldest daughter with me. Um, I, I push constantly for people to serve globally. I, my, one of my favorite lines at our church is I walk up to somebody and say, you know, God loves you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. And uh, and I invite them to join me on mission somewhere. And so we go serve. Uh, we serve locally, <laughs> we serve nationally, and we're serving internationally. And uh, we say up front, we say pretty unabashedly, we're asking every college student in our church to give us their first two years out of college. And we're asking every retired couple in our church to give us their first two years of their retirement. And uh, we've seen incredible response to that. People resonate with that, and they're excited about giving their lives uh, to something that we think matters. That's cool. One of the strategies that we employed here or kind of helped to transition the way that we approach missions is uh, we found out very early on when we were a church of, say, probably 200-ish in that range, it became exhausting to try to constantly have missions projects or missions engagement. And we would you know, create this trip to another country or to another state or some inner city work that we were going to do. And we'd get a little bit of participation. And what we found, what we discovered was we were trying to figure out something and then make people passionate about it. And that never really worked for us. So we shifted the whole thing on its head and started saying, what has God laid on your heart and how can we support you in that mission? And from that, we developed international strategies. We developed local, like single mother sort of strategies here in our community, uh, post-abortive care. Those sort of things all grew out of the passions that God had already laid on people's hearts. Then we support them. Now, I will say this, that came with its own set of challenges because when people are very passionate about something and you give them a platform and you work behind them and help them to um, recruit and train and develop leaders, Sometimes they then turn and want you to be just as passionate about their passion. And when you're not, it kind of creates a tension. Like, why aren't you as passionate about this? Isn't this a valid thing? And we would tell people, yes, it is. But it's no more valid than this person's over here and that person's over there and that person. We just want everybody to be on mission, what God has given them a passion to do. So we have gone less and less towards those or we've moved a little bit away from those week-long trips to 
in our context, New Orleans or Denver or, um, you know, Guatemala, those were the ones that we kind of adopted and more so leaning towards the what is God leading you. Now, that did lead to different sort of passions and trips on. But what we found was those were more when we plan them, they're introductions to missions, not missions itself. And then when you catch the sort of the vision for it, you go off and we will support that kind of work. And that's just something I wanted yeah, to share so with our listeners because ahead, it's Sam. a strategy that no, ahead, any Sam. size church can approach and use and still be engaged in missions. Uh, yeah, like, go ahead, Micah. Yeah, you oh, can it, go, Sam. I, it is all you, Micah. Everyone <laughs> wants to hear that beautiful buttery voice. Go ahead, poopy face. Poopy face, talk. <laughs> I, you know, I, really, if you're talking about missions in the established church, and let's say you're a new pastor, you're walking in. Uh, there's usually one of two things that you're going to find. One, the church is not doing missions at all, or the church has already engaged at least at some level with some things. Um, so, you know, to the church that is uh, not uh, – well, let's just start with the church that's already engaged some. That's right. um, as a new pastor, particularly as a young pastor, um, I would encourage you, go go after the low-hanging fruit. If you're if – you're, you know, get to get more people involved, just go where the people already are going. Don't try to introduce – um, you know, new things upon new things, just, okay, you've got people already going to a specific country or, or, or are already involved in a specific mission. Just go after the low-hanging fruit to start. You'll have plenty of time to work on, you know, a future missions vision later on, but better to get boots on the ground than, you know, try to, you know, force people into a, another conceptual vision of what you think missions needs to be. Just go where people are. And to the person, to the church that doesn't have anything, let's say you walk in and literally they're not doing anything. Well, most of the time, the vast majority of the time, at least somebody in your church is connected to something. Go after that. You know, okay, who's got an aunt or an uncle or a niece or a nephew or a son or a daughter who's doing something somewhere? Well, engage there. Um, Show that you care about what people are already connected to before you start trying to roll out new things. Just because you may be passionate about a particular continent or a particular country um, doesn't necessarily mean that's what your church is supposed to do. So I would encourage you, if just very practically, if you are trying to do more missions at your church, just ask the question, where are people already – where are they already and who are they already connected to? And just begin there. You'll, You'll likely find an easier path for getting more people involved. Another intro that you could use is just, you know, your denomination or another church in the area. Maybe you don't have a missions pastor on staff and just the organization of trips and and the upkeep and the ongoing. If it's local, let's say, you know, your heroin ministry that you're providing there, that requires some administration and an ongoing relationship with different organizations. If it's a trip to wherever, that requires travel and airfare and all those sort of things. And I see a lot of smaller church pastors become real frustrated because it's so much work to do those things. And I've always just asked, why don't you just do the work? Why don't you connect with what your denomination is doing or, or another maybe church. another church down the road? And we found that those other, say say there's a mega church, a city over, and their missions pastor is planning these great trips every year. And you're thinking, man, I got to recreate that. Why recreate it? Just kind of go talk to them and say, could we connect in with you? Could we go to your strategy meeting? Could we do these things? And most often, I mean, in fact, I've never seen one say, no, you can't be engaged in the mission that we're working on. And that gives you an introduction to facilitate some of the mission. Yeah, so let, me, let me give you a couple church, of the practical uh, steps kind that of, I've worked through over the, over the few Let years. them carry the load. And, that and I've done this at a church where I was a bivocational pastor with 33 on Sunday morning, 
did this at uh, a church, you know, there's a mid-sized church and, and now at Brainerd, which is a larger church. So, I mean, these are, these strategies just work across the board. I would say if you walk in and they don't have, um, I'm talking about walking into a place where maybe they don't have good mission strategies, right? Where I'm at Brainerd, we already had good mission strategies. We're just trying to, to accentuate those. Um, but let's say you're walking into a place that doesn't have good mission strategies. A few things to say and to kind of believe. Number one, um, sometimes it feels bad for the pastor to say, right. I want us to work in XYZ place. Maybe there's other people who want to work. Um, wh- whose opinion is going to win out? Here's my argument. You're the pastor for a reason. Now, if somebody else already, if they already have a commitment, if they already have a partnership, like Sam said, exercise that. But if they don't, you're the pastor. God puts you there for a reason. Um, and, and whatever it is that you're going to lead your church to do, you've got to be passionate about. And so if you've got a passion, drive in that direction. That helps. Secondly, think in terms of um, um, concentric circles. And so I try and delineate. If, if we're not careful in ordering and delineating our missions, We'll call everything mission and we'll never be real strategic and we'll never see impact. So I think in terms of local, domestic or or national missions and then international missions. And I ask myself, if these are three buckets, how are we serving in each of these three buckets? What are we doing in each of these three buckets? So delineate well and then grab bite-sized partnerships that are available that lead to more significant partnerships. Let me give you an example. Uh, At the last uh, church I served, um, we talked a lot about being a missions-minded church. We gave a decent amount to missions. We would, uh, once or twice a year, have a team go somewhere on missions, but we didn't have strategic, intentional partnerships. And so I really wanted, I had a desire for us to engage in the Muslim world in a hard part of the world to, uh, to, to participate in. A lot of people have that desire. The problem was our church wasn't ready to do that. They didn't have any idea what a partnership looked like, didn't know how to practice good missiology. And uh, we, we didn't have a large number of people ready to go. So I thought, let's start with a more approachable partnership. So we looked, we talked to our mission board that we work with. We located three or four countries. And here's what we were looking for. Ease of access. I wanted them to have to get on a plane. So they had to get a passport out and get on a plane somewhere. But ease of access, um, somewhere where I can take large groups of people and somewhere where I can take all ages. So children to adults. My goal was to very quickly introduce as many people as possible to global mission teach them good missiology. And then once they've been hooked on it, then I can turn their attention to more difficult places. And so for us, it was the mountains of Guatemala. We started taking 15, 20 people at a time. I mean, we, it was amazing because these were fairly low cost trips. They were in the exact same time zone, didn't require any immunizations. So they were pretty simple for people to get involved in. We took in one year, we took 10% of the church. Uh, Actually, no, it was almost 15% of the church we took down there in one year. That one year changed the way our church viewed mission. When we got 10 to 15% of our church overseas, even though it was low cost, low, you know, it just wasn't that difficult. It changed. They saw, they got to become friends with people who spoke a different language and they saw the need. That enabled us to begin having conversations about going to harder places that were more expensive, lengthier trips, required more, you know, prep work up ahead of time. And I was able on that, those easier trips to teach them basic missiology, good missiology. And by the way, along the lines of good missiology, I would highly recommend that everybody who's listening to this, uh, excuse me, read a book, um, comes from the Chalmers Center, which is actually based out of Chattanooga, but the book is just really, really well known, entitled When Helping Hurts by a guy named Brian Fickert. Uh, that's a really, really helpful book to help frame good missiology for your people so that you're going and you're serving, but you're doing it in a way that helps people and not hurts people. The vast majority of international missiology that I've seen done by local churches 
They think it helps, but in reality, and I'm, I'm serious when I say this, the majority that I've seen over the last 30 years hurts as much, if not more, than it helps because we've not thought through our missiology. So grab that book. It'll help you with it. Sorry, go ahead, Sam. It also hurts. What's that? Seeing you tweet. What are you talking about? Hey, you know... You, you know I what? You know what also hurts. I didn't tweet anything. I read seeing you tweet while I talk. <laughs> oh, uh, <yeah. laughs> I saw those tweets come in. How did you? Um, I, I, are you on Twitter while you talk, poopy wow. face? No, no, Gosh. no. I just I, I have my phone by me and I'm sitting here talking and I see my phone light up. It's and my, see, so I've got Micah. Micah directly comes into my phone. Both you and Josh. both Josh and Micah. Well, it's it's because I, I host a podcast with you and I need to make sure that you don't say anything stupid. So. There is, a, there is that possibility. 100%. I'm going to embarrass all of my friends. And I'm sitting here talking, and I see Micah tweeting, and I'm like, what? Am I that boring? Come I'm going to cut man. the audio of Micah. That can be your I'm going to clip the Micah. Micah has <laughs> this line book. where he says, I just encourage oh everybody gosh, who listens that's... to this podcast to read a book. And so I'm just going <laughs> to clip out that audio and just share it all the time. Read a, read a daggum book. <laughs> That's my favorite advice for everybody. I will say this about – so we're talking more about kind of an an American mindset. Obviously, if we were talking globally and missions, it's a completely different thing. But, you know, that's the context of most of our listeners is, you know, how do we get Americans engaged in mission and in the American church? Um, I just at least want to say that for those global missiologists who are out there, that that is our perspective. Um, But but because of that, what I have found is – and if I can just – get somebody who's never been out of our country to another country and and just have them, if anything, even if I understand you you don't want to hurt, you want to help. But one of the biggest things is just changing the perspective of people. And they come back and all of a sudden, you know, they have, you know, an idea of what sacrificial giving really is because they've seen it, you know, in other countries, they have an idea of, um, you know, what, what you can do with very little because we are persecuted. We are wealthy as Americans, generally speaking. And when you go and you see countries where they do so much with so little, it completely changes uh, what you think of in terms of how to do church in America. So if you're listening, that's one of the best things that you can do. It, 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 I hate, and I don't want to quite say it like this, but you know, it doesn't really matter where you go, just go somewhere and, mm-hmm. and just get them out of the country, get them seeing the world and it will broaden their world worldview to the, to the point they'll be better church members when they get back. And, and that's not the reason you do missions, but that is a result of doing missions well. Clearly, that's Mike has given good say, advice on uh, how Sam, to help, not how to hurt. But I just say, man, if you could just get people out of the country, like if you've got a church that really isn't doing a whole lot, just, just get people to see the world as it really I mean, is. I, It'll help you. It'll help you in your own church locally. Report back on, you know, they were in a village that I know of where I used to live in West Africa and saw 3,000 people get saved in a week and saw 15 churches get planted. And I get angry because I know that the same people committed to becoming Christians a week ago and three weeks ago and a month ago and two months ago. And the same churches were planted over and over and over again because American churches are bringing money and stuff. And so, of course, Poor villagers will say whatever you want them to say if they can get free stuff out of it. I, it. It really makes me angry. So I get the logic there behind that. But then I also hear, don't do short-term missions because the money can be better used other ways. And I understand the logic behind that. But here's the thing. Short-term missions creates not just better church members, creates people with a better commitment to mission, both going and giving, not to mention praying. And so when we take our people overseas and we help them engage with the world, I'm convinced, by the way, 
that that's one of the necessary steps. When I say necessary, I don't mean you have to go out of the country. This is not Islam where you have to go on the Hajj to you know make Jesus happy or make your God happy. But I'm convinced that engaging on mission is a necessary step of uh, discipleship. And so when we help people, they're not just better church members, they look more like Jesus when we get them away from what they're used to, to serve. And by the way, I, sh- I should have said this at the beginning, I make the argument that discipleship originates in and culminates in mission. Think about it this way. Jesus said in Matthew chapter four, what verse 19, I think, when he said to the disciples, put down your nets and come after me. And what did he say to him? He said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So it ought to say something to us that the very first call to discipleship from Jesus was a call to go and join him on mission. And it culminates in mission. Discipleship culminates in mission. What were Jesus's very last words before he left the earth? Go and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. Disciple-making always, right? And he's with us when we're on mission. Uh, in fact, at the National Prayer Breakfast a few years ago, Bono spoke, and you can like it or dislike it, but he said something that I thought was really good. He said, Jesus is with you and lo, I am with you to the end the of the age. woman in the slums. And I think oh. there's an element of absolutely him being right there. Jesus is with us, lo, I am with you always, when we are on mission with him. When we join him on mission, he is particularly with us. In fact, I would argue that the whole point of the book of Philippians, we, we say that Philippians is a book about joy. I actually think joy is the secondary theme in the book of Philippians. I think the dominant theme in the book of Philippians is partnership for the advance of the gospel or partnership for mission. And I think the point of Philippians is that joy comes when we partner together with other believers to join God on mission. And we miss that. We just want to say, well, I'm with Jesus, so I ought to be, ought to be joy-filled. And oftentimes self-centered Christians aren't joy-filled, and they wondered why. Because God designed us for mission, and joy is a byproduct of partnering with other believers on mission. So th- there's theological implications that drive what we do here. We're not just talking pragmatically getting people on the field, though the, these practical steps are important. Quick, quick question. Absolutely. I, I, this, is, this is an important question. You brought up Bono. Oh, Wh- what is the best U2 album? I, I gotta, I, I, we should all answer this question. Oh, man, I'm one oh, of those people God. that just has no idea who sings what. I, I barely listen to music. Oh, you're, yeah. you're, you're, I'm sorry. You're, you're, seriously, Josh? Okay. I'm so sorry. You got, I actually <laughs> also like pop country, too. So, um, oh, King. And, oh, and, man. And, that hurts. I like Luke fantastic, but I, I just like think Brian. here's the difference. And um, for all of you this point, that are but the difference in my mind but, is um, that Joshua Tree Project. Luke Bryan is too loud. So. <laughs> fine, YouTube. Like, so, um, you're Joshua Tree guy, Micah. See, awesome. I'm Octone Baby. I think Octone Baby oh, was the best gosh, album. I don't know about that. I don't know. Where the streets have no name. I mean, they, there's just so much good on the Joshua Tree Project. But Joshua Tree, Joshua Tree is amazing. Hey, and I just want it to be known, Sam. Octone Baby was the perfection of YouTube. Liked and commented on this tweet. Okay. Can we also just say something about the fact that Josh King is the pastor of Saxe's Church and the associate pastor I, I, I at Saxe's Church is Josh Yeah, Prince. I don't even know what to do now. I thought I knew you guys. I thought I knew you. And is yeah, Josh I was King and his associate pastor is Josh Mike, I think there's an inferiority issue that's going on, but, you know, we could belabor that or we could leave it for another episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's another reason for the King thing. We <laughs> we really value our pastors around this place. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny when there's a guest just standing near us and somebody will walk up to me and call me king and just start talking and then they walk away and it's like, and nobody's, only the guest is like, are they really call their pastor king around here? And like, yeah, yes. And then I have them kiss my hand as they walk away, you know. Yeah. Hey, I want to add one other thing. This is kind of a step back and I do think it helps in engaging people in mission is for the leader, the pastor to consider 
themselves on mission. So a lot of times we think we're like, we're sitting here and I'm doing some subpar work pastoring here. Well, I don't pastor. None of us pastor on the, the mountainside in Jerusalem. This We are a part of a mission that came to us and is going through us and is going out. We all sold homes and moved our families to come to the church that we're at now to lead it, to pastor it. And so if you begin to think that way and you become passionate about here, and and this is another topic for another cast, but you know, it's very clear when you follow me on Twitter or social media or even talk to me in person, this isn't an act. I really am passionate about where I pastor. I really am passionate about adoption. I really am passionate about certain things. And I just hone those passions. We call it at our church, just nerding out. A lot of people call it that, but nerd out on the thing that God made you passionate about and then be that. And what I've found is as I get passionate about the church I'm at and exegete this culture and see what this culture needs and reach these people, I try to tell our church members, I'm not asking you to be passionate about that. I'm asking you to find out what God is leading you, giving you the passions and the strengths and the gifts that he gave you, and then nerd out on that. Go off and just be crazy about that. And what we've seen is the more I own the talents, gifts, passions that God gave me, I see other people adopting that attitude and going off on missions. It's not a matter of like making them like, like, so I really love the Pacific Northwest and I really want to take a trip to Portland all the time. Well, I can't really talk half of my church into that because they're just not passionate about that. And that's okay. Another side of that is, let's say you lead a trip to wherever and you get like three people that are let engaged me, in Let that. me add one Good. more just really Let, let those three people be engaged in that. I feel another like really practical four engaged over here, another church. two engaged over so there. So one of the things it's we've just, argued when it comes not, to we local need to get mission, away from how do we impact our immediate success community? I was just literally having this conversation with about 70 people in in a meeting yesterday. And I told them, I said, look, we can have initiatives and we do have and we will continue to have local community initiatives. We ought to. We've things that we care about as a church and as a church we're moving toward. But the reality is if we want to influence our city, we have to decentralize. Okay. So I'm, I'm a big believer that local mission efforts, we have to decentralize our efforts and empower people to engage without permission from leadership. Uh, not just the pastors, th- whatever the pastors influence are, are uh, passionate about Josh, but really what is every member in the church passionate about? So an easy way to do this is to, as part of your requirements for your small groups or Sunday school or life groups, however you do this, um, if you've got some expectations for those classes, those groups, how they meet, what they do when they meet, we're actually transitioning to this right now at Brainerd, where one of our expectations is that every life group, we call them life groups, every life group has to identify a specific local missions partnership that they commit to and they have to engage with that local missions partnership at once a month. They don't run it through us. They don't ask us permission for who that's going to be. It could be an elementary school. It could be a crisis pregnancy center. It could be feeding the homeless. Whatever that is that they're that they're already connected to. Now, if they can't come up with anything, I told them, I said, ask us. We'll help give you direction on what those partnerships could be. Mm-hmm. But we want them to grab a hold of something they already know about, have connection with, are, part, are passionate about. And then we want to provide a rubric of expectation uh, and hold them accountable so that they aren't just in theory liking it, but they're actually doing something about that. And so what we're trying to do is decentralize and empower everybody in the church to engage on mission without having to go through the church right. itself um, to authorize what they're doing. It's a super easy thing, can be done in every church, doesn't cost a dime, and will exponentially increase increase your local missions influence. 
I think that Lord, that would be I the good. That. Let's talk I'm about so that next. Let's talk about our expectations on small groups. I'm just seriously. Gosh, I think that would be a good one. Hey, King, I'm just waiting on you to kick the dust up, man. Kick the dust up. Boom. Um, That's a Luke Bryan we, reference uh, for no those com- of you who are sanctified and, and don't know. Voice, but you know that's okay. <laughs> that's why I started singing it. <laughs> oh come on, y'all are just jealous of that great smile he has. You know it. You know that's what's wrong with you. He does have a great smile. Oh, I'm just oh, I don't like his music. His smile's better than his music. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we appreciate everybody listening to our opinions on country music and U2 and missions. Hope that you'll check us out next week as we unpack other topics relevant to the established church. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Support for EST is provided by Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. The mission at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. The school is located in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and offers more than 40 different degree programs ranging from Associate of Divinity to Doctor of Philosophy. With more than 3,400 students enrolled, Southeastern trains future and current ministry leaders to lead effectively, study the word diligently, and preach the gospel unashamedly. Learn more about Southeastern by visiting www.sebts.edu. And come check out our campus to see how you can join the Southeastern family and learn how to go to reach your community, your nation, and your world. Wherever you're going, Southeastern will help you get there.